You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Good evening. Welcome to Buy Into It, discussing computers and new technology. Tonight you're joined by James Noble. Howdy ho. Cade Deem. Hey, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Uh, Dan Salmon's pushing our buttons this evening, and I'm Vanessa Tolka. Thank you for tuning in. So coming up tonight, we are going to... We've got so much news. We're going to be talking about Google Loon a little bit later, and um, we are going to kick right off into news first. Okie dokie. I like your new radio voice, by the way. Oh, really? Is it new? <laughs> are you feeling it's, it's different? Very, it's, I feel it's, like it's, I need to start speaking oh, like this. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, everybody. I'm just stalling while my mic restarts. <laughs> <laughs> really? Are we a technical show of technical difficulties right now? Sure, yeah. why not? I can start with the IINet news. Oh, let's let's hear it. Um, so, uh, the basically, uh, ever since Netflix came... Uh, online in Australia, um, internet speed slowdowns are beginning to plague thousands of iInet customers um, during peak periods, which is after 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's understood that slowdowns, which can be as early as 4 o'clock, are due in part to the arrival of Netflix and iInet not having enough backhaul, being that um, people are basically using the service way too much. Um, it's really interesting, though, because it seems as though the majority of the people who are struggling with it are iInet, and, and uh, you'd have to wonder why that's actually happening. Um, but what's interesting is it seems to be not just a one single area. There's lots of different little areas in which this is actually happening. Um, it's happening to me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm an iInet, iInet customer in Brunswick, and it's... Uh yeah, I can't seem to uh, do anything at the very moment, really. It's like I've got the 100, uh, the NBN, and it's slowing down to sort of 20, 15, 20 megabits. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's especially around 7 to 9 o'clock. Oh. So I'm wondering how this might affect TPG customers when mm. uh, they when the two merge. TPG are looking to buy out <laughs> iInet. <laughs> it's if a sad thing happen. for consumers, yeah, if it yeah. happens, just yeah. because there aren't that many providers in the space already, and I think the competition's a healthy thing. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and also there's a big... That's the whole... Uh, the fact that iNet defends uh, rights online and things like that, whereas TPG not so much, at least not publicly. Um, no, no, they really stay out of the politics of it, whereas yeah. iNet have been great customer advocates, um, particularly in their MBN debate while that was... A living thing. <laughs> we'll be talking. That was a very uh, politically sensitive way yeah. of saying. <laughs> you know, we can't be depressed about the NBN forever. We just have to move on with what we've got. Didn't uh, very, I, very slowly. I it recently. Um, get the after the ruling in New Zealand, they all, they had to release all the people that downloaded. Um, Dallas, what was it called? Dallas yeah, Bias. the Dallas yeah, Bias Lab. Yeah, 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 we spoke about that week. a fair bit last week, Sorry, actually. No, overseas, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> No, you have indeed. And uh, if you want to catch up on that, James, you might hit us up I on the podcast. Yeah, or our on-demand service, uh, which is uh, customised for mobile at m.rrr.org.au. <laughs> and we've been meaning to spruik it. Is that on iInet as well? Uh, it's available on iInet and all your favourite service providers out there. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> how we ended up in this place. <laughs> okay, what else has been going on in news? I, brought, I spot, spotted this in the news um, late last week that um, some t- scientists over at Stanford University in the US have come up with a mobile battery that can, uh, they can say they can charge within a minute. Now, 
being people think battery is boring uh, in most cases, but people like us find this quite interesting for the fact that we all have issues with using our mobiles and uh, mobile devices so much that we have trouble keeping them charged, and you have to carry battery packs and this kind of thing. So the biggest bottleneck. Yeah, the in b- tech. In tech, yeah, it's been. And it's the first charged. thing you ask about. It's like, yeah. great, the new phone from whichever brand is coming out. Yeah. Is the battery life any better? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, but we have this fantastic retina display, and you go. Mm. Yeah. I would rate a better battery life over that. Yeah, absolutely. So, but the, I mean, if they can do this, and it is actually what they say it is, uh, it also means that there's going to be less uh, landfill because they're going to use less batteries. They charge quicker. You've got um, it's, it's smaller, so there's less um, mining to ma- manufacture them. Um, I also saw recently there were there's two new batteries that, that they say they're going to be out out in the market in the next year or two, which are made up based on um, algae. So they, I've heard yeah. a long time ago. I was hearing about this. this yeah, they've been talking about now. five or six years, and they, wow. they, they think they've managed to get one that's stable that they can actually produce. Wow. So this kind of stuff is will again be. I hate saying the word game changer because everyone says it's throwing it around quite flippantly of late. But it's it is certainly if we can if you could pack those in and have start using them more frequently across mobile devices things like that, you're going to get a really good. Um, it's going to change the way that we use our, our mobile devices. It's great that even these Stanford ones with the um, aluminium and graphite. They're saying they're not as dangerous as alkaline, which no. is exciting. Like, you know, maybe you can recycle them or throw them out in a different way. Yeah. You don't have to worry about them leaking quite so much. Yeah, I think like my, the lithium batteries were a bit unstable and sometimes with a charge they st- do you know what happens to the battery when you charge it if you keep charging it to 100% all the time it slowly loses and it gets mm. down it, it, well we know well not uh, only that there was the little bit of bursting into flames at even Apple conferences and things happened you know? to my, uh, my, uh, my uh, iPhone 3 mm, and um, have, and I, I, I just heard the <laughs> in, my, in, my, in my drawer and I, didn't, and I smelled burning and I didn't know what it was because I'd replaced it. You had a Mission Impossible moment. And it was a couple, yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks later I went to, ah, oh, my phone kind of split open and it was it singed some uh, some papers in the drawer. So it was mm. quite lucky. It didn't. I had um, swollen battery uh, symptoms in the, in the laptop. You know when your I've laptop doesn't those, sit down yeah. flat? Yeah. You go, oh, something's happening here. And then you suddenly realise the lithium battery. is expanding over the top of your computer. Very bad. Mm. Yeah. All right, that's excellent news, James. Thank you for bringing the positivity. (laughs) What are you guys thinking about the Apple Watch at the moment? Have you been looking at their different selling methods? They're saying they want to eliminate queues. It freaks me out. (laughs) Just because you can't queue or the the watch itself freaks you out? Last time I was here, I'm trying not to, like, jump into the rant they did last time I was here, but (laughs) last time I was here we were talking about it. And um, basically it's the first Apple product that I've seen that's marketed from a fashion accessory perspective and not so much from, like, an everyday, every person kind of thing. Well, what about the iPod? I felt like that was marketed in quite a fashion sort of way. Sure, but it's not – iPods weren't showing up in Gucci – stores and like it wasn't tying alongside those luxury brands that's the true thing they that, were much more affordable yeah that's exactly right and mm. the thing that freaks me out about that is um it seems as though the watch is being for better or worse sold as a luxury item and all of apple's successes up until this point has been around appealing to mass markets even though they are you know expensive or whatever it's the idea that you buy this thing bicycle for the mind that kind of thing where mm. anyone can buy one and you can become more than just that whereas this is like a totally this is aiming directly at the upper market and the luxury market yeah. which i think is a really weird 
um, way for Apple. They're usually to... solving a problem, whereas this isn't. Like, and this is, in one that. case, they're letting demand exceed supply as well in their supply line, which is creating that artificial demand sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just freaks me out. Like, if you take that to its logical conclusion, there's all these sorts of things around, like, does this um, anticipate, you know, changes in society and all this kind of stuff? That's sort of the things that I've been looking at. But, I mean, it, it's really around, like, Apple's really good at reading large portions of society and dropping products in these places. And At least it, it has of, been for a while. Well, it has been yeah, for a while, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, they brought out... The new MacBook, I think, does the same sort of thing. Um, the All of that really works. But the watch is just baffling to me. It just makes the Pebble even more attractive to me, um, particularly the customised... Um, interface and, yep, and that sort of thing it's just it just lets you do more and yeah the pebbles really sort of leaping ahead for me particularly and, and for the price life. point nice one it's good i, I mean uh, i actually um while i was away on um uh overseas my my partner in crime paul uh wanted to bought, buy his apple watches for the office for testing and things like that and he did mine first and then when he went to go back it was uh he his had a waiting time of about six weeks so i <laughs> get mine before his but um he was saying you could only order one at a time it sold out in, in australia in half an hour and globally in six hours yeah. so that's quite a quite a feat um on another topic um uh, talking Tech. We've got. Uh, I, I spotted this. Uh, well, we, we spotted this um, pen for people with Parkinson's, which is all these sort of. I think this is what is changing in the way that we're using technology. We're starting to actually realise that we can help society and people with who aren't necessarily um, uh, may, maybe have um, losing my train of thought. Maybe have um, mental or physical problems yeah. and i think uh, this parkinson's uh, pen I, I didn't even think of it i was like oh, that's a really smart idea and um, what it does is it basically uses the the gyro in the phone in the pen to balance and, and feel sort of shakes and jitters and moves and counterbalances the yeah that's the, awesome. the, the, the biro so that you can get a smooth smooth smoother writing um this was uh by um there was a 27 year old designer that created this and i think I think this is awesome. I'm just, I can't believe that someone's, that we didn't think of it before. And there's all these nice new innovative ways that we're coming up with ideas to do with the gyros and the geolocations and the small devices and all these things that actually help people rather than just do cool stuff like mm. the Apple Watch. And the fact that the manufacturing process is getting more affordable so you can yeah. actually produce and iterate something like this, which presumably yeah. have a much smaller audience than, you know, a lot of the commercial products that we talk yeah. about usually. I think, manuf- yeah, like you say, manufacturing, that like 3D printing has made a huge difference in mm. lots of different realms Absolutely, of being able yeah. to, to test it and trial prototype, it. Prototype, yeah. yeah. Prototype, even like limbs, like making, testing and trialing your limbs, you can make one in a few hours and see if it works rather than having to try and get it perfect first time. Going through a manufacturer and wasting a whole lot of stuff, etc., etc. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty yeah. exciting stuff. I think the pen is just fantastic. It's such a great example of the true internet of things if you like rather than mm. like like this idea of augmenting existing stuff in ways that are actually seriously meaningful yeah and something that doesn't have a creep factor it's not tracking <laughs> you that's that's really nice here's an internet thing that's smart but it's not going oh where are you and what are you writing with your pen uh-huh. it's it's just saying hey you have a little you know you're a little bumpy there i'm just going to smooth that out for you great yeah, it's not looking to, can you get a selfie with me? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you look like you're writing a letter. <laughs> Would you like to check in on Facebook with it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. James, you came across a hilarious satirical article this week, a response to the government saying they want to crack down on tech, technical companies not paying enough company tax in Australia. Tell us about this. 
on this bottle of tonight. <laughs> oh, you know. Um, yeah, we do it with I, love. Welcome I, back to the show. I saw this on <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> um, and uh, it's uh, basically Google threatens Australia. Make us pay tax and we'll make you use Bing. I thought that was quite a... I quite, I quite liked that. It made me chuckle, so I had to read on a little bit more. But they're basically saying because of the, the companies believed to have paid only $74 million tax in Australia annually based on a $2 billion uh, of projected earnings. So that's they, they say it's offshore, and I understand it, but they say because they make such a big difference in society by the service they provide that they shouldn't have to. Mm. Um, that's a, that's, this is that whole uh, technology and society evolving faster than uh, government mm. legislation. Surely these sort of things have to be uh, dealt with on a worldwide basis, and they should probably be being negotiated in mm. like big international agreements like, say, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah. And you just wonder, okay, so you're talking about this publicly because it's a very politically convenient issue. Mm. Like, look at those bad guys over there. They're the people who mean that you're not investing in social good in your own country. Yeah. It's, it seems like a bit of an easy scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think so. I think I think it's at least it's bringing things to the front to into the press to make people start to think differently to how things mm-hmm. are done. Yeah. And you think about, you know, this, this has been happening for years with big corporate companies and shifting money from one country to another. Mm. Uh, and now that, that we, because we find it so useful, they're using that as an excuse not to have to pay. Mm. But I think um, it, this is actually, uh, in ways, this is helping that on a global scale it will become a global problem which will be create a unity globally to then start to iron these things out. I always uh, think... Um, I don't know why I started to reference the uh, phone charges that you... There's so many different... It used to be so many different connectors for so many different brands, and, and that's kind of like the way it is globally with with, this, with the internet. We all try and... And different licensing and legalisation of things and illegal downloads and all that kind of stuff. It's all... Everyone trying to sort it out for themselves. Mm. If we could, everyone could come up with a unified solution. I believe they've um, made some headway with that in the EU. They've mm. created some um, protocols around... By a certain year, the phone manufacturers have to have compatible charges and in terms of the connections. Year. Was that last year? Yeah, oh, last year. gosh, really? Yeah, so they're no, no longer manufacturing, which, yeah, so that's why basically or everything other than Apple, because they call it something different, it's not actually a charger. It's a, oh, it's a, it's a connection. You're killing cable. me, James. I was optimistic cable. for a moment yeah. there. Yeah. iPhone connector. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, and the connector port, not the charging port. We're going we're gonna to take a moment and uh, regain our merriness, <laughs> and we'll be back with some data science after this. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You're with Bite Into It with James, Cade and Vanessa. Thanks for joining us. We have just been joined in studio by Phil Briley. He is one of the co-organisers of the Data Science Melbourne Group, the, I think, third most active group on meetup.com in Australia, or in, in Melbourne at least. Uh, it is in Australia. Wow. Very good. Nice. This is what we like to hear. Phil, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. So we've brought you in because um, uh, we've had a lot of questions from listeners about data science and what that is. Uh, how do you define data science? Uh, great question. So you know, th- these days data has been generated at a tremendous rate. So, for example, you know, whenever you browse the internet, whenever you buy things from a supermarket, when you use your credit card, you know, when you go to the doctors, the doctor will write stuff down about you. You know, your mobile phone, every, you know, every time you move around, uh, your, your telco's actually knowing where you are. Uh, Fitbit apps, you know, generating... I've got mine running right now. Have you? Yeah. Do you want me to analyse the data? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm on Fit and I don't do it. 
Yeah, it's smart electricity meters. You know, they're recording now your electricity consumption every half an hour. Uh, this radio program is being recorded. Mm. You know, be put out in a podcast. So it's like vast amounts of data being generated. So, you know, I read today that there's more data being generated every minute uh, today than existed from the start of time to the year 2000. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's quite a lot. So, so, you know, what is data science? So data science is essentially taking this data and, you know, trying to, you know, this data that's a byproduct of some pro- operational process, you know, you've you got to store it, manipulate it, and basically turn it into something useful or insight that can be used to make things more efficient, you know, and add value to, to processes. So what uh, type of problems do you try and solve? Uh, well, I'll give you a few examples of the, the type of things I've done before. Uh, I mean, my, my initial background was electric load forecasting. So, you know, once you start generating electricity, you can't save it. Uh, so, you know, you turn on a power, you turn on a gas turbine, you want to make sure all the electricity you're generating is being consumed, otherwise it's, it's just wasted, wasted gas. Uh, so, But you don't want to generate too little electricity or else there'll be a power cut so basically you need to try and forecast um, the day before exactly how much electricity sounds like iNet could do with you right now well yeah <laughs> so I mean uh, what data scientists do is take all this historical data uh, such as the weather whether people on holiday you know the time of day people have meals at different time of the day they put the heating on when it's hot air conditioning on when it's cold and you know they come up with algorithms that will tomorrow, you know, predict for tomorrow exactly how much electricity will be needed for every minute of the day, so the suppliers can uh, turn the power stations on and off at the right time. Uh, I've got, you know, another thing I've done is is completely different, which is automated essay marking. So I was involved to develop an algorithm for a computer to mark school essays. So the logic here is that, you know, kids these days aren't doing as much writing at school because, you know, marking them is labour-intensive and costly. Mm. Uh, so you know, when you when you go to schools these days, you'll find that multiple choice tests are the go because it's oh, like pretty those. easy to <laughs> pretty easy to mark. But I mean, we developed an algorithm that was basically trained, tried to replicate the way a human would would mark an essay, and it was actually you know when we finished it, it was actually more consistent uh, and accurate than than two humans agreeing with each other. So that's that's like a Another example. So, uh, so you're writing. Are you writing the um, the programming as well as uh, actually analysing the information as well? Uh, yes, yes. You've got to. You know, it depends on on the task you're doing. There's there's a lot of out of the box software that will mm. that people have already created that will you know write the algorithm for you. Yeah. Uh, so your main job is is creating the data in the first place, getting it into shape, yeah. and then maybe developing your own algorithm, or probably just using a an out of the box. Algorithm yeah. to come up with a prediction. Yeah. So, what sort of um, skills do you need to work in the field? So, obviously, programming is one, but uh, aside from that, yeah. So, the biggest uh, single attribute is basically an inquisitive mind. Uh, you know, without, you know, without being without being inquisitive, you're not going to get anywhere. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, the other skill, yeah, the you know, the the the, the big skill is the, mani- the ability to manipulate large amounts of data. So, eighty you percent know, of your time will be spent essentially getting the data in a shape before you, you can actually really start the sexy stuff. Yeah. Well, did I tell you that according to someone, according to the internet, 
data scientist is the sexiest job of the 21st century. Well, <laughs> you, 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 wow. you can give it up. You guys feeling the heat in the studio <laughs> yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been fanning myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so the data manipulation, uh, so you need programming skills essentially to, to, to do all this. Uh, you know, a lot of people say you need a statistical background. I mean, these days, I don't personally think that that's necessarily as important as, as it's made out to be because, as I said, a lot of these out-of-the-box algorithms exist. You just need a pre- appreciation of, of how to drive them. Uh, you, don't need to, you don't need to actually be able to kind of derive them yourselves. You just yeah. need to, to know what, what levers to press uh, and machine learning. But, I mean, the, the other two big things about data science is you, you need a business understanding. Uh, I mean, most data science projects fail because you're asking the wrong question in the first place. Yeah, what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah, you know, you can go up a blind alley uh, and deliver something that no one actually asked for in the first place. Uh, so, it's, you know, it's, and it's also important to have, like, a forward-thinking view. Uh, for example, what I mean by that is, you know, if, are we using a particular data set that can actually be re- used in the real world when we actually implement the situation? So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to be thinking ahead. Can Once I've developed this, can I actually... Implement it. You have know. to look at it critically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm an example for that stuff I've been working on before is uh, codes. When you go to hospital, you get a code allocated to to a disease or a treatment. Yeah. Now, those might be predictive, but in in the real world, those codes don't get allocated till 30 days or so, or a month after you've left hospital. So we cannot use that information, you know, in mm. real time. So maybe save, you know, improve your health. Yeah, because mm. the data doesn't appear till you know probably till after you've. Minil, uh, so just just things like that. I yeah. suppose they, does, uh, in uh, from a, a government like in country uh, man- management, as it were, it, the statistics are really interesting to find out, sort of, and get statistical data to find out not just who's at the polling booths, but what people are spending the money on, why they're spending it, what locations, which states. Yeah, it's all I mean, that. to me, that's that's reporting. Yep. So, I mean, I guess there's two sides of... But you start to find it interesting. You'll start to figure out, if you've got the inquisitive mind, what information is out there and what can I turn it into to help find other things that people haven't thought of. Yeah, yeah, correct. Because I always used to think about traffic lights. Like They're always on a system, but they never seem to be right. You always catch all the red lights or you catch all the green lights. Like, What if you can can figure out the data to work out the traffic? Well, one one problem I've I've been involved with is actually when when you're driving along the freeway uh, and the sign says... 30 minutes to the next exit or whatever you know you know when there's there's traffic congestion yeah. uh you know these there's algorithms to actually figure out based on sensors in the road mm. you know how, how long it's going to be before you get to where you want to go yeah uh, so just, you know data science is everywhere <laughs> yeah. yeah so what about the toolkit are you keen on any particular software to help solve problems uh well my personal toolkit so i'm very big on visualization uh so the first thing i do Whenever I get a data set, you just draw a bunch of bunch of pictures, basically a bunch of graphs. Mm. Uh, now, personally, there's there's a bit of software called Tableau, uh, which essentially is very easy to use. You don't mm. really need much skill. Uh, you just press buttons, see what your data looks like, uh, and and that then raises the questions to say, well, that looks interesting. I'll, yeah. I'll follow my nose. Uh, you basically then need, you know you also need to have a database. So you've got vast amounts of data. So you'll need some some mainly SQL database to store mm. it in so you can manipulate it in a kind of centralised environment. Uh, and then, the, I mean, the real data science uh, are the programming languages like R and Python, uh, which are kind of open-source statistical mm. libraries. Uh, you know, it's normally just 
I mean, I find using these libraries is just like building a jigsaw. So, you know, others have developed... Someone's always done what you want to do, or a piece of what you want to do. you just got yeah. to find those pieces and put the jigsaw together to solve solve your particular problem. Uh, right. so, I mean, I, I not only use R now, but, I mean, Python is, is the up-and-coming mm. language. So do you um, go to any forums where you discuss techniques to use those those tools very much? Uh, normally just the meetup. Right. Forum. So there's, there's You've created the meetup that you needed to, to <laughs> well, solve yeah, your I mean, problems. I mean, one of the reasons, well... I need more data. Well, uh, <laughs> I thought, you, in data science, you don't know what you don't know mm. yeah. uh, until you... I mean, I've learned most of my skills by being at work and sitting, looking over someone's shoulder and saying, well, what's that you're doing? That, that bit of software looks interesting. So it's hard to, you know, that's how you do learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these meetup groups, I thought if I, if I start a group, I can actually get people to come and give talks on stuff I want to, right, to right. learn about. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully someone else might find it interesting. <laughs> that's good. It's a bit, uh, to get the sexiest job. Well, that's right. You need four things, an inquisitive mind, <laughs> tableau, Python <laughs> skills, Python skills and a really skill. amazing meetup. Right. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's also very much in demand uh, job as well. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Are you finding um, a lot of business analysts, you know, they've got their SQL skills, often they've got statistical skills, some of them have um, some basic programming skills. Are you finding many of them coming to the meetups and wanting to make that transition to I mean, the uh, sexy build? Well, people say, you know, I'm an, ana- an, 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 I'm, sorry, I'm an analyst, I, I want to be a data scientist, but well, you, you are, you know, yeah. there's no real definition. If you're doing stuff with data, you probably are, mm. uh, you know. Flavour of the month. Yeah. It's good. What, what's the makeup of the people that come to these meetups in terms of what they do as a career and a role? Uh, it's, it's across the board. So uh, we've got students, we've got hands-on practitioners, we've got practitioners, we've got professors, we've got, you know, managers of analytics. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, every, it's, it's really diverse. Yeah. Uh, so, so can you tell us a bit about which particular industries you see using data science more heavily than others? Uh, I mean, data science is everywhere, uh, but industries such as financial services have users of data science because basically they need to be to remain competitive. You know, if you don't do the analytics, someone else will, and they'll pinch mm-hmm. all your customers. Or, you know, if you don't analyse who's not going to pay your credit card but and you give them a credit card, you're going to go bankrupt uh, then you've got likes of Facebook Google you know Amazon massive data science teams but but what is the big untapped area for me is healthcare analytics yep uh, I mean the commercial drivers in this industry are different uh, so analytics not really been employed to its full potential so there's much waste and inefficiency in healthcare that could be corrected by the smarter use of data uh, so, I mean, for example, I've developed algorithms to predict the likelihood of a, a patient will end up in hospital, you know, based on prior medical history. Mm. I mean, the reason for doing this is to proactively intervene. Yeah. Uh, but do you worry ever about um, your data? Sort of, you would hope that someone intervenes earlier. We save money. We improve people's health outcomes. Yeah. Do you worry about insurance people making things cost more for people because of information like this? No, it, it's, it's, it's illegal to. In, you can't discriminate in, the, in Australia. Mm. Uh, an insurance company cannot put up your premium because of uh, any particular medical history. Uh, but, I mean, if you didn't know that, you would worry, I think. Mm. Uh, so there's always this kind of darker side of people having ulterior motives to use my data for yeah. for other things. Oh, that's good to know. I didn't know that. Uh, I think that's true, anyway. 
I mean, one other th- one other thing for in the health industry is you know there's a lot going on these days in image recognition. Yes, there's, there's something called deep learning, which is the sexy algorithm. And, you know, these days you can, instead of examining an X-ray to find out whether you've got a tumour or cancer, you can just stick this data through through a computer. It's more consistent, it's cheaper and more accurate. So you've just ruined the whole premise of House. I don't know if you've seen that show. He's a magician. That'd be in big trouble once deep learning comes to House. Um, I mean, it should have been how they ended the series. (laughs) Wheeled in a computer and put it on his chair. (laughs) So um, the Data Science Melbourne meetups regularly garner over 200 RSVPs. I've been to a few of them and they've been really dynamic and and interesting. Can you tell us a bit about um, which topics you've had the most requests for? you drink a lot of beer and eat a lot of pizza as well? Uh, well, no, not for me. Ah. But, uh, Lemonade? Oh, you know, the beer's fine. Lactose intolerance and no pizza for me. Okay. Anyway, so, you know, Data Science Melbourne, we've been having regular meetups now for nearly 12 months. Uh, so we've now nearly just on about 1,700 members, uh, one of the biggest meetup groups in Australia. So we try to have a, like a general talk and a more technical talk in each session. But, I mean, basically, but whatever we put on, people seem to turn up anyway. Uh, and to be honest, we've, we've not the had... The beer and the pizza. You know, uh, well, we, there's a funny story to that. I, when, when we first started this meetup, we were worried no one would come. And I said, oh, I'll buy beer and pizza just to see if we get 20 people. And, like, 200 people turned up and <laughs> basically bankrupt me. So. Yeah. Damn students. Yeah, that's what I thought. Anyway, so, yeah, so to be honest, we've not had any real requests. We've just had lots of interesting people volunteering, you know, interesting talks. Uh, so this Friday we've got a breakfast session uh, with over 200 people attending and there's 60 on the waiting list. Uh, next Thursday we've got our first year anniversary party, uh, 250 people coming and a big waiting list for that. Uh, so if any you know any other listeners want to join the group, you can find us on meetup.com. Uh, yeah, we sh- we're tweeting out the link um, okay. as we speak. <laughs> cool. Have, and just uh, going back to you, to the... Um, uh, the data and saying that with the health and things like that. Do you ever find that you can find ties between? I'm just literally because we've talked about it. So I was saying about the traffic lights and the healthcare that the two different like transport could re- relate to the, the to the hospitals and then change traffic light and flows to help ambulances based on the times. <laughs> and uh, I'm instantly I'm starting to go. Oh, you could do this and you could. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it could. Yeah. But I mean, to be honest, you've got to start small. Uh, mm. Not a lot of people are using. Not a lot of people are just doing doing just the basic stuff. Uh, just you know, my my challenge is to start people. You know, here's some basic, here's some basic stuff. Get them to buy into the concept that analytics can actually improve their business yeah. and gradually, you know, improve or, or expand yeah. the, the capabilities. Yeah. So, Phil, what sort of proportion of the problems that you work with work with real time data? Uh, well, for example, my, I'm currently work for a hedge fund. Uh, which constantly trades literally continuously. Mm-hmm. That's kind of real-time data. Mm. Uh, but not many. To make, personally, n- not many. For mm. example, a lot of it's you know, historical customer data. You know, your customer's behavior is not going to change uh, that much. Uh, you might only want to you know, give a customer a – send him a bit of junk mail every month. Mm. Uh, <laughs> And that's, that's, that's not. Have you worked with um, any emergency response type of projects? No. Ah, that's no. interesting. I, I always wondered if that space was was ripe for this, and if anyone had things in place yet. I've seen some interesting uh, Ushahidi-based reactions yeah, to I've, things. I've, I've but met a guy who, what was he doing? He was trying to 
basically it, it, it was to do with fire uh, you know when there's fire a response, fire yeah. response and he was trying to you know decide how many people you'd need in the phone in the call center mm -hmm. when people are ringing up to say should i leave sh should i leave should i stay or should i go yeah and, and they were trying to find the optimal time <laughs> the optimal time you know yeah to basically get some more people to come onto the phones so, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. It is. Phil, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about data science That's and no demystifying problem. it a lot. Yeah. Uh, you can check out that data science breakfast coming up this Friday from 7.30am at, at Deloitte. However, you're going to have trouble getting in. Mm -hmm, yeah. but you can you can check out um, who's going to be there and find out a bit about them uh, because that's that's kind of interesting and you can learn a lot. We'll, we'll send some details out in a moment. For now, uh, we'd like to remind you that it is April and we're in the middle of April amnesty. So if you are a freeloading RRR listener, we love you no less and it's actually a really great time to think about subscribing because you'll be eligible for a ton of prizes some of them we envy you for so if you're into that and you're a fan of our show we really recommend that you make um, your way online and subscribe online because that's what bite listeners would do and go to www.triplr.org.au and you can subscribe there you are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You're with Bite Into It. Thank you for joining us. You're with James, Cade and Vanessa. Uh, and we are talking about technology and computing. Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, what I, I spotted um, this week was someone's uh, releasing an app called, and I've forgotten the name of it, uh, called Spylight. Spylight. Yeah. Um, it's basically... A Shazam for clothes. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's a it's an app that's supposed to be coming out. I think it's got it's coming out reasonably soon. Such uh, a brilliant idea. Yeah, you can um, you can basically shop and see what people and celebrities are wearing in TV shows, and then it'll find matching the matching clothes. So I'm all over Mad Men. Like, let's uh, <laughs> let's do this. Um, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's quite a cool idea if it can pull it off. I think it reminded me of, when I saw it. It reminded me of a an article when there was someone brought out an app where you could take a picture of something and they'd find it on uh, on eBay or Amazon for you so that you could purchase it. But what would happen was actually taking photograph when you did the snapshot. It, the, you thought it was an algorithm that was that was figuring it out, but what actually was was a room full of of guys um, <laughs> just uh, taking the request like a 1960s switchboard yeah, and just going yeah, click, and click, 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 click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I thought. I'd I thought that was really cool. I think there's like a hundred people looking for that jumper for you. So, James, like. um, if you take a photo of a stripy dress, can it tell you if it's gold and white or blue and black? I, yeah, I think it was blue yeah, and black. Breaks. Yeah, it breaks. Yeah, <laughs> I did that recently. I was, um, I was taking photos. This is how we geek out when it comes to sneakers. I was taking photographs of, of sneakers in stores around London decided, so I could decide which ones I was going to go back and buy and I could ponder over them. And I took a picture of these shoes and when I got back, like there was two, two on top of each other. I thought, oh, wow, I like the ones below it even more. They look really cool. They're gold and white. And I went back in the store and they were silver and grey. And I was like, damn, this is dress. <laughs> Amazing. It really happens. I'm really fascinated about stuff like this. Um, this kind of ties back into our previous guest around this idea of using even just the things like data on people's clothes in order to do a thing right I, i'm really interested in like in the same way when siri first came out and you mm. had like people like the shit series that said web website which is mm. like a tumbler of dumb stuff that it would say when people discovered it actually had a personality things like um trying to break this algorithm with just weird stuff like just go yeah. and find 90s um uh x files or twin peaks and stuff and just like try to build your own like literally your own um 
yeah. Fox model or whatever, and then go on to like Stargate or um, Star Trek or whatever and just try to find the most weirdest kind of outfit. I wonder like how far you can actually take this concept before, yeah. it, before it gives up and yeah. doesn't want to help you yeah, anymore. Yeah, I think we've managed to mention Star Trek in every episode I've been on by into it. Well, that was a good segue. You need to come onto my shows more, oh, James. Sorry. It doesn't sorry. always happen, I promise you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wonder, can you actually buy... You can buy a Star Trek outfit from a costume store, wouldn't it? If you can buy an outfit for anything, I'm sure there are outfits for that. Um, So, hey, you guys, um, are you interested in Google Loon at all? Do we have a moment to talk about that today, or do we need to save it for a show where we have more no, well, time? We've already talked about it before, but I just wanted to bring it up again mm. because it actually did come to Australia. Mm. Um, they put them out in the outback. The Google, for those of you who don't know what Google Loon is, Google Loon is a, a loon is short for balloon, and they used um, they they were trying to work out a way to be able to keep. If you ever use a helium balloon and you let go of it, it floats up into the air, and eventually the atmosphere makes the, the rubber expand, the air releases, and it falls back down to the ground again. So they came up with a tra- trying to come up with a technology where they could keep it solar powered, keep it energize and keep uh, um, changing the fluctuation of air in the in the balloon so it would float and they could keep us but then they worked out how to keep it at a certain le- level altitude mm. um, and then it also now they put the, with google loom project they put a wi-fi um, signal on there to distribute two people to be able to connect to it so they could float it over uh, sort of uh, rural areas in, or a and, disaster area or yeah. whatever and just get internet yeah and get the yeah. internet and I think that, so they've, they've, they trialed it in New Zealand and it was a big success and then um, recently they brought it over to Australia into the outback which is uh, it's basically for help and you forget that if you're not part of the, if that you don't live out there that you don't realise that you take it for granted because you've got it in your pocket all the time and you live in the inner city so this is quite a big thing and it's quite a good project and then ne- next one these are sort of because we are um, we have cities around and we have lots of easy access to these remote locations they're trialing it in, in our countries in countries such as Australia and they've all been all thumbs up and green lights so far so I think the next thing is they're going to try and move it over into sort of the Amazon and, and sort of bring it out into, into third world countries and help uh, sort of yeah, like you're saying um, air, um, connectivity air, yeah. yeah connectivity pretty exciting stuff um, it's just I find um, you just have to wonder, like, they're talking about things like running LTE and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and one thing that I'm um, really interested in is, like, uh, when you've got these big signals which don't have large amounts of – because, like, an LTE floating satellite would, mm. wouldn't have, like, a like a CDMA-style signal range. You know, it's not yeah. a huge signal range. You've got to have lots of these things. Um, do we have issues with, like – crowding them in the sky or anything like that? Not so much like, oh, I can't see anything anymore, but like a light plane crashing into it or... You know I, what think, I, mean? um, like, I think we may be looking at combinations of technologies here because if they get this working really well, maybe that can help them plug gaps in things like mesh networks on the ground. Yeah. So you could probably use the, the technologies in tandem and that might let you leapfrog over spaces. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think well, they also sort of um, daisy chain as well, don't they? So they connect to each other to get to a source. Mm. Yeah, I, I yeah. worked on a um, not-for-profit one lot to put child where they did that for indigenous um, children having had these laptops that would eat, that could connect, and once they had like a few, in it, they'd all power together to create a more powerful signal to then connect to the next school, and the next school connect to the next school, and eventually they get to the to the, to the Wi-Fi signal. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, the way that, that you can do that with these as well. Mm. And in terms of the altitude and the planes and things like that, the, each, there's sort of alt, there's altitude um, breakpoints sort of 
vertically away from the earth based on where what you can have in those areas it's kind of a right and so they sit between yeah so and that's why you get airports where that entire area is locked off you can't yeah, have anything right. in there but then there's helicopters there's um satellites there's um low flying or drones drone, yeah, yeah. Drone, damn drones. it's all about the drones now <laughs> One day we'll hear a story about a Google loon crashing into a drone. <laughs> and a chimp and a, trying to poke a stick at it. Yeah, and then we'll be like, the dystopia is complete. <laughs> I want a photo of that. <laughs> so What's next? A, a little name cropped up this week that I hadn't heard for a long time, not since um, back in old 2600 freaker days. Kevin Mitnick. Kay, did you see this article? I did. So Kevin Mitnick is um, coming to Australia. Um, he's being billed as... Um, the one of the world's most famous hackers by CBIT, um, and he's coming to CBIT Australia. Um, who is he? He's a 90s um, hacker who was convicted and sent to prison by the United States government, one of the first to be convicted, um, did a stint of time, came out, and is now a security expert who consults around the world with um, various... But has this legacy, right, because he's based in... That time period, which you know, the film Hackers really loves to talk, like it just idolizes yeah, those kinds of people. Phone freaking, uh, early, uh, social engineering, yeah, early bulletin board hacking, um, mm. you know, the early credit card stealing, all that kind of stuff. And and what's what what's the problem is though, like a lot of those people from that time period have sort of come to have some of the, or been accused of having some of the worst qualities of that of the tech industry so we all know that tech has a bit like a woman problem or a gender inequality problem a lot of these people from that and from the free software foundation and the open source community but kevin nick mick is kind of a lightning rod for this it's that whole very aggressive um in your face you know uh, kind of discreetly supporting doxing people that kind of stuff yeah and so for me like one of the things I'm really interested in is, aside from him actually coming and, and speaking, uh, whether we should really be endorsing things like that in the same way as there was big criticism about Supernova bringing in people who were mm. comic convention, bringing in people that were, you know, had quite sort of um, encouraged online views. hate campaigns. Yeah, well, that's you know, just of really sort of offensive stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see the way it's been written up. It's all it's all quite you know. Oh, he's infamous, and isn't that sexy for our event? Yeah, mm. I think that the problem with with Kevin Mitnick in particular is unlike um, someone like um, uh, whose name is, escapes me at the moment. But unlike other examples of this, um, uh, his. Uh, notoriety is is still well known because he was that 90s hacker so a lot of what is you know the controversy around him that's happening at the moment is still very much centered in that community um uh it's not really like when you say infamous there is that that's sort of beginning to be talked about now and i think we need to acknowledge that kind of stuff mm. but it's not really being picked up on yet by a mainstream thing which is i think what part of the reason why he's going to see it and i find that stuff really just um a little bit difficult. <laughs> not to be not to be too sort of critical of it, but it's just like um, I think there's plenty of people that you could bring to CBIT and have speak and have a better experience and not be seen as I think um, endorsing some endorsing of the more or problematic not necessarily things. endorsing, but giving people a pass for the, the kind of behaviour that you don't really you kind of want to stamp out yeah. in this community. Well, you're yeah. giving them a platform to that's just, right, yeah. And a lot of people will say things like, well, you know, it's tech, so it doesn't really have anything to do with gender rights issues or, you know, equality or you know, mm. whatever, and it's his point of view or whatever. But in reality, if you're bringing people and you're saying something like world's most famous hacker and you're sort of idolising these kinds of people, then I think we need to actually look at 
what they also do outside of this narrow scope of thing. You know, nothing's ever as simple as just the one thing that you do. It's a bunch of, you have to take the whole belief system, I think. And I think that because of that, and because he gets that, that uh, he's had that conviction, he's had that sort of, I'm a, Mm. I've got my um, my my battle scars and my medals. So you can sort of get away with everything. Um, I find that really difficult. I think. Mm, mm. I think it needs to be talked about more. Absolutely. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, Three Triple R, one hundred two point seven in Melbourne. You're on this super exciting last bit of bite into it with Cade, James, and Vanessa. Thank you for staying with us. Talk James. about super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi, Great huh? Segue. Yeah, I love Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, I just thought, you know, we, we talk about a lot of technical things. We talk about, we talk with really interesting, um, complicated um, careers and things that may, may not be a little bit over some people's heads. I thought we'd um, bring it down to some basic stuff and some little bits and tips and hints that we could maybe help out with uh, with some of our listeners that maybe aren't as geeky and as nerdy as we are. And uh, I thought the simplest of things was sort of your Wi-Fi signal at home. I just stumbled across it on Mashable and, uh, and I thought that's probably... Not everyone knows this kind of stuff, and with uh, th- people think 3G, 4G, it's just a word, and it's what does it mean? They don't know, understand the f- signals and frequency levels, which gives you better um, downloads and quicker, yeah. spe- uh, quicker times, things like that. So I thought with the, there was an article um, about where to put your uh, your uh, router in your home or office. Now, um, mo- pretty much 99%, would you say, Kate, of... of um, routers are a circular. They send the signal for, in a full yeah, you know, sixty degrees time, Yeah, absolutely. Um, and my, but most people seem to. I've noticed it in my friends' houses that they put it in the corner next to where the phone line used to be, and it's at the back of the back of the house or something like that. But what I just wanted to say was, I just want to give that quick hint to sort of things like this. That if you've uh, if you're having a bit of trouble and you're in some parts of your house and things like, think about where your modem is and your and your router, and put your router somewhere towards the centre of your mm-hmm. house and in the middle of the building building as well as close to the middle as you can so you can get most of the signal otherwise yeah, you, we all know that when you're sitting there and you connect to your your phone to your home home that and the wi-fi on the list comes up you usually get your neighbor's ones as well because it's you know the signal's quite it's quite a, usually 50 meters um but yeah it was literally a quick thing to say hey just stick your to get out of closer to the center of your house or your office and you'll get a better stronger signal and, and faster faster uh, netflix yeah and also um just take into account the consideration of your materials in your house as well um although yeah, it's my not lead so walls much. aren't going to help me that much <laughs> <laughs> no i mean in terms of just where you place it as well um yeah i mean that's not so much a problem as it used to be i remember yeah. when we first had wi-fi and you'd have like a solid concrete wall and that would not work at all but yeah it's yeah, it's a good yeah. good thing, and it's amazing how many people don't know that. Um, yeah. And I think that's a part of a by uh, like a byproduct of you know phone lines being sort of kept out of the way yeah. as well, and so our ADSL connections being like crammed into corners. Yeah, just want to drop in a small bite. I like it, a small bite for bite. So hey, I see what you did there. Time for some um, events. What's going on? Tell me about. Mini Make Day. Oh, Mini Make Day was something I saw that sounded super cute. Actually, Warren caught this one. It's on this Sunday, the 19th of April, from 12 to 4 p.m. at the library at the dock, which is 
consistently putting out all sorts of great events which geeks would love. So in this particular case, you can meet up with makers from the community-connected hackerspace from Geek Girls Melbourne. Also, the Footscray Maker Lab will be there, XYZ Technologies, NodeBots, and Robots Are Coming. That's not a statement of fact. It is a, an organisation who are going to be represented. Robots Are Coming. Uh, and while you're there, you'll be able to explore things like 3D printing um, and all types of robotics and electronics sort of projects and things... If- if anyone out there knows where you can get the um, the 3D scan of yourself, there was one in Footscray, and I can't find this damn thing online. So if ah. any any of the listeners can give me a tweet at Mr. I James actually Bain. know exactly where you can get one. Oh, thank God. There's a place up in North Coburg that's um, building one that's pretty excellent. Right. I have no idea why I want one. Well, I'm this just, is what we need. We don't, we don't need is. to take a trip to Japan <laughs> to have a little 3D version of ourselves. Yeah. This has got to be a bite mission. I want the full set of minifigs. Yeah. Yep. Action figurine set. Yeah. I think listeners would be surprised how many beardy um, presenters we have. That's uh, <laughs> that's good fun. <laughs> what three else? to one ratio or something. What else is going on in the event space? Um, I've got one for that's in the same sort of vein, also on the 19th, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Melbourne Electric Vehicle Expo. Oh, great. Which is uh, happening at the Atrium in Swinburne University out at Hawthorne. Um, it's basically the future of vehicles, and it's uh, electric cars, electric motorbikes, and bikes. And um, there's going to be some pretty crazy stuff there, actually, um, which you should get down and check out. I'm, nice. on, the, I'm on the list for the uh, Tesla Try, uh, test drive. Awesome. Um, well, you, maybe you'll be able to do one. There. I have no idea yeah, if they're yeah, out there yeah, or not. But yeah, th- if this you want, they are. The, they are there. The, uh, I'm not sure if they're there, but I know that you can start to do. You can test drive them this month. Fantastic. You know, I don't think you have to actually drive them though. I think you have to just sit and watch. I think that's right. So the final event we wanted to shout out to is the Melbourne International Design Week which isn't happening until the 11th to the 17th of May but they are taking submissions uh, if you want to contribute an event to Design Week, if you Mm. want to pitch something. Yeah, they also quite often sell out quite quick and you can get tickets for all the different events that are at the moment. Um, they're really good because it's a very diverse range of different things that you can do Mm. and um, there's a, a lot of it is sort of to, uh, focused towards sort of supporting the local and the international community on um, on um, health and uh, well-being. So there's a, as well as um, education and on design. So it's it's a really good um, uh, week of information there. Great. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for joining me on this week's uh, this week's bite. We've been uh, James, Cade, Vanessa, and Dan, and thank you to Phil Briley from Data Science Melbourne for being our guest. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.